Would you welcome Don Butler as he comes to share? Thank you all very much. Well, good morning. What a beautiful morning to be in the house of the Lord, praising our glorious Heavenly Father. Amen. What an honor and a pleasure and a privilege it is to be with your church this morning. I tell you what, you guys got it going on here. What a wonderful church. I love your pastor. I knew I was going to love him the first, from the first time I spoke to him on the phone. What a wonderful church you got going on. Uh, again, it's a pleasure to be here to share with you about the Gideon ministry. Before I get rolling, though, I, I always like to make sure I came to the right place. Now, I do that by asking a couple of simple questions. Now, they are easy questions, but they do, however, require an answer. So what do you say we get rolling? First question, do we have any Christians in the sanctuary this morning? Raise your hands, give a Christian. Right now, everybody should be reaching for the heavens. Let that light shine. Amen. All right, good deal. Second question, a little easier question. It does, however, require an answer. Do we have any sinners in the sanctuary this morning? Raise your hands if you're a sinner. Right now, everybody should have a hand raised. Maybe not quite as high. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are we in Christ Jesus this morning? Raise your hands if you're in Christ Jesus. All right, you're in great company. I do believe I've come to the right place. We already know my name is Don Butler. I'm pleased to be a Gideon. Some folks say, well, why are you pleased to be a Gideon? And I say, well, because the Gideon ministry is all about God's word. And we know that God's word generates life, creates faith, produces change, frightens the devil, causes miracles, heals, hurts, builds character, transforms circumstances, imparts joy, overcomes adversity, defeats temptation, infuses hope, releases powers, cleanses our minds, brings things to being, and guarantees our future forever. And we cannot live without the word of God. Amen? Amen. Well, most of you know that the Gideon ministry is a men's ministry coupled with a woman's auxiliary. There's about 245,000 of us worldwide. We're the folks that place all those Bibles in hotels and motels and hospitals and in prisons and on cruise ships and in doctor's offices and nursing homes and many other traffic lanes of life. We're credited with having distributed over 2 billion Bibles in over 200 countries and 109 languages throughout the world. Primary mission of a Gideon, bring the lost to Jesus Christ. We do that by placing the precious word of God into the hands and the hearts of peoples everywhere. Right now in small villages in third world countries, there are men, there are women, there are children. They are holding one of these. It is their most valued and treasured possession. Not so much because it may be their only possession, but because it contains the precious written word of God. It took us 20 years to distribute our first one million Bibles. 20 years to distribute a million Bibles. Now, now we're distributing a million Bibles every four days. Every four days, one million Bibles. That means by next Monday, one week from tomorrow, we will have distributed another two million Bibles. When I say we, I do not mean we us Gideons. I mean we, you and folks like you and your church and churches like yours that have been contributing to Gideons International for over a hundred years. Making it possible for us to do what it is that we do. See, we couldn't do what we do without you. 
So on behalf of Gideon's International, from the bottom of my heart, I sincerely thank each and every one of you for the contributions you've made over the years. And I want you to know that as an extension arm of your church and of your ministry, every time we place one of these Bibles or one of these Testaments, by proxy, you are there. You have had a hand in it. So once again, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I'd like to share with you a a few testimonies about some Gideons. First testimony I'd share with you is about a handful of Gideons that they went down to Columbia to the mining towns there in the small villages and they went to the schools in that area and they did Bible distributions there. And there they were able to get into the schools and they got inside all the schools down there and every single person in the schools, staff and children alike, received one of these testaments. Whether it was one little Colombian girl had received one of these testaments, from the moment she opened it up and started to read, she fell so in love with God's Word, she couldn't put it down. Her father was getting a little upset with her. Every time she was supposed to be doing her chores or her homework, he'd look over and there she'd be reading God's precious Word. Getting upset with her, he'd take it from her and he'd place it up on a shelf out of her reach. Next thing you know, she'd be pulling a chair over there or a stool, something to get up there, reach up there, and pull that little Bible back down. She was constantly reading it. Well, one morning when her father was getting ready to leave for work, he looked over and there the little girl was reading God's precious word. He knew that she wasn't going to get any of her chores done for the day. So he walked over and he took that Bible from her. And he's a little upset by now because he's already taken it from her so many times. He said, I want you to quit reading that. The stuff in it isn't true anyway. He took that Bible and he he put it in his pocket. And off to work he went. About five hours later, whistles and sirens started to blow. There was a cave-in in the mine. Thirty-one men were trapped in that cave-in. It took rescuers five days. To reach the trapped man. Of course the little girl's father was one of those. Took them five days to reach him. By the time they had gotten there. Their air supply had been long exhausted. All 31 men had perished. In that mine collapse. When they found the little girl's father. He was bent over in a kneeling and praying position. That little testament was clutched. Between his praying hands. They pried that from his praying hands. And a little later they opened it up. Now if you're familiar at all with these testaments. The very last page has the sinner's prayer. The prayer of salvation. And there's a place there where you can sign your name. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. In that space was her father's name. And if you're familiar with this little testament, the next to the last page is a blank page. Now on that page was a note that said, Dear daughter, please continue reading. Everything in here is true. Father. Below that little note on that next to that last page were 30 more signatures. All 31 men who had perished in that mine 
had accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior before leaving this world because of one little Bible in the right place at the right time. You see, only our God in heaven knows for sure how many lives have been spared, how many souls have been saved, how many families have been healed because it was a copy of God's precious word where it needed to be when it needed to be there. That's what Gideon's International is all about. Another testimony about another handful of Gideons. They went to a school to do a Bible distribution that was here in the U.S. They weren't allowed on the school property. They weren't allowed in the school or even on the school property. So what they did was they placed a Gideon on each corner of every street that led to and from the school. And they awaited the bell to ring. When school left out, every corner was inundated with peoples of all ages. And almost every single person received one of these testaments. At the time, those Gideons had no way of knowing that just several blocks away was a troubled young mother in great despair. Her despair was such that she felt there was only one way to escape that disparity. So with a loaded gun, she walked into a closet. She closed the door behind her. As she raised that gun to her head, she cried out, Dear God, if there's a single reason why I shouldn't do this thing, tell me now. At that very moment, the front door of the house burst wide open. Her young son come running through the house shouting, Mommy, 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 look what the man gave me. So anxious, unable to wait to show his mommy the little Bible that the man down in the corner had just handed him. A life spared, a soul saved, a family healed. Because of one little Bible in the hands of a small boy, God's perfect timing, and a handful of Gideons willing to give up their time to go and distribute God's Word. There are hundreds of testimonies I could share with you of people who are in great despair, on the precipice of taking their own life, headed to a would-be grave, and then after having stumbled across a Gideon-placed Bible, their lives were saved, souls were saved, their lives were changed forever. But I'm going to share with you a little bit of my own testimony this morning. And instead of sharing more testimonies of people you'll never meet, I like to share my testimony now and then because I know that every single person in the sanctuary this morning has someone in your sphere of influence someone in your circle of friends, someone in your family who is currently wearing the same shoes that I wore for so many years. I was lost. I didn't know I was lost. It's kind of like that old axiom, you don't know what you don't know. We have people in our lives who are lost and they don't know they're lost. And that was me for so many years. I called those the lost years for good reason. If during the last year someone would have said, do you love the Lord? I'd have said, I love the Lord with all my heart. That would have been an unintentional lie. Because you see, I loved me more than I loved the Lord. I was living my life to please me. Without regard to whether I was honoring God, praising God, glorifying God, pleasing God, or whether I was offending God. 
I offended God an awful lot throughout my life. During the last years, if someone would have said, are you a Christian? I'd have said, oh, yes, of course I'm a Christian. If they just said, how do you know you're a Christian? I said, oh, didn't know that question was coming. How do I know I'm a Christian? I knew a lot back in those days. I knew who God was. I knew who Christ was. But Satan knows who God is. Satan knows who Christ is. Just because I know that or knew that didn't make me a Christian. Now, I wasn't a total pagan. I've written songs and poems to, for, and about the Lord all my life. I've got many, many, many of them. But I wasn't the Christian that I thought I was because of the things that I knew. See, I would have said, well, I believe I'm a Christian because I know, I know there's only one God. He created the heavens and the earth and everything within I know that John 1 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in John 1 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Right, right there, you could put the, you know, the, He dwelt among us. Which you could put a big old set of parentheses. And you could say, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Lord and Savior, the Messiah, was born and dwelt among us. See, I knew those things. But I was still lost. I know that and, and in those days, I, I know that, the, that, that, that Jesus Christ was our Savior. I know that Christ was born around 6 B.C. I know that because I know the stories of Herod the Great. And I know that he died in 4 B.C. I know that, that Christ came not to condemn the world but to save the world to bring us life and bring it more abundantly I know that he he chose 12 of his disciples to be his apostles to, to assist him with his, his gospel getting the word out there I know that all but one of those apostles were martyred apostle John the very last apostle would go to heaven to be with Jesus the only apostle that hadn't been martyred. I, I know that there was a young soldier, Saul, who stood and watched in approval as they stoned Stephen to death. And later on, on the road to Damascus, has an, had an encounter with Christ Jesus and thereafter would be known as the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest apostles of all. I know that Jesus was crucified, taken down from the cross and placed in Joseph's tomb and that huge, huge rock placed in front of the tomb. But three days later, Christ had risen just like he said he would. That huge rock had been removed from in front of the tomb and it wasn't removed so that he could come out. He didn't need that. It was removed so that we could go in, we could look and we could see and we could know without a doubt Christ had risen just like he said he would. I know that after the apostle John had gone to be with Jesus, it wasn't the end of our church history, but the very beginning because the next generation of disciples, the apostolic fathers, those men who walked with, learned from, were mentored by the apostles themselves who walked with Christ Jesus. Men like Polycarp of Smyrna, Clement of Rome, and Ignatius of Antioch, and many others of most of who were martyred. Polycarp of Smyrna was 86 years old when the Romans came to take his life. He knew they were coming. 
His friends asked him to take refuge so his life would be spared. But he had had a dream, and in that dream he saw himself in the flames, and he knew that he wanted to cry, die for Christ. When they, nailed, when they actually tied him to the cross, and they would normally put nails in their hands so you wouldn't escape the flames, when, they went to put, when the Romans went to put the nails in his hand, he said, the nails will not be necessary. My Savior will sustain me. And he was consumed by the flames. Clement of Rome, another one, just, just about 50 years after the Apostle Paul had written his letter to Corinth because of division in the church, here it was not even a half a century later, and Clement was writing almost the same letter for the same reason. It was because of envy and jealousy in the church. Clement, too, was martyred. They wrapped chains around his legs and feet and threw him in a sea to drown. One of my favorites was Ignatius of Antioch. Now, most of you probably know that Antioch is actually considered the cradle of Christianity. For the word Christian emerged out of Antioch, as did the word bishop, which means overseer. The word Catholic, which means universal church, all emerged out of Antioch. Antioch was in southern Turkey, about 25 miles north of the Syrian border. Ignatius was 72 years old when he was arrested for atheism because he wouldn't bow down to the Roman gods. On his way back to Rome, which would be several months' journey, he spoke to as many of the churches and the folks in the churches as he could on that trip. But he wrote seven epistles on that trip. One was to the Magnesians. In that very epistle was the very first time in human history anybody had ever, in writing, referred to Sunday as the day of our Lord. See, he had known that the Magnesians were so engulfed in, in the, the Old Testament, the Mosaic law, that they were having a hard time realizing what Christ had done for them in the, on the cross and the importance of it. Now, I could go on and on telling you these things about this. The point I'm making by sharing this with you is that I knew an awful lot about God, about Christ, about the, the apostles and the apostolic fathers. But being a Christian isn't about what we know. It's about who we know. See, we have people in our lives right now who know who Jesus Christ is. But they don't know Jesus Christ. An analogy I could ask you right now. How many of you know who the first president of the United States is? And Most of you would say, well, that was George Washington. I'd say, did you know George Washington? Said, no, I don't know. I, don't, I didn't know him. I just knew who he was. We have people in our lives who are that way with Christ Jesus. They know who he is, but they don't have that personal relationship with Christ Jesus. They're lost, and they don't know they're lost. It's incumbent upon us to help them find their way. We have people in our lives that, that aren't going to church on Sundays, that aren't in fellowship with other Christians, aren't reading God's precious word. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All things will be made unto you. But if they aren't reading God's word, how can they ever know what the righteousness and true holiness of God is? Now, I know that you know, and I know that you have that joy of, the, of Christ in your hearts. But we have people in our lives who don't. It's incumbent upon us to help them find their way. I know this because I was one of those lost. 
Matthew 28, 18, Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go therefore, making disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey the commands I have given you. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How long is he with us always? To when? The end of the age. Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to the, the disciples of 2,000 years ago. He's speaking to you and to me and all the generations in between and the generations to come. What are we supposed to do? Share the gospel with everyone in our sphere of influence. Not just on Sundays every day of the week. That's what we're supposed to be doing. You know, back, back home there where I come from, Petersburg, every now and then I'll hear one of, one of my colleagues or someone out there say, oh, man, you've got you to watch that Don Butler, man. He's one of those religious fanatics, you know. He's kind of over the top. You can't get into a conversation with him without talking about religion. Well, that's not true. I don't talk about religion. Religion is an individual set or institutionalized system of beliefs, behaviors, and activities. Christianity, on the other hand, is a relationship and a way of life. And I do talk about that quite often. They'll say, oh, you know, he's one of those, what do you call that? Oh, yeah, one of those uh, born-again Christians. Yeah, yeah, that Don Butler, he's one of those born-again Christians. No, I'm a Christian, but I'm just a regular Christian. I'm not one of those born-again Christians. Well, you know what? There's no such thing as a regular Christian. In John 3, 3, remember when Nicodemus went to see Jesus in the hours of darkness? Didn't want his colleagues to realize he was going to Jesus for counseling. And Jesus turned to him and said, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It doesn't say he may not or he might not. It says he cannot see the kingdom of God. So there's only one kind of a Christian that's born again Christian. I suspect most of you here are born-again Christians. But we have people in our lives who don't realize the importance of coming to church and fellowshipping and reading God's Word. And it's our duty to help bring them to Christ. I know when I first came up here, I said the primary mission we get is to bring the lost to Jesus Christ. But after all, isn't that the primary mission of each and every one of us? You know, back home every now and then, you know, some of the guys will, uh, you know, they'll, they'll be talking and stuff. And then I'll say to them, you know, what, what, is your, what is your goal in life? What is your goal? Even some of my brother Gideons, what is your goal? And, of course, they'll say, well, you know, I have a nice job, a nice car, a nice family. And, you know, and all those things that people think of these worldly goals. I said, no, no, no. No, that's not where I'm headed with this. What is your true goal in life? They know where I'm going with it. And they say, oh, my true goal I got you, is to make it to heaven one day. Folks, that's not our goal. That's our reward. Heaven is our reward. Our goal is to be more like Christ Jesus today than we were yesterday. And then to be more like Christ Jesus tomorrow than we were today. And to bring as many folks along with us as we can. That's our goal. Sometimes we forget that. You know, every now and then I'll get to my home church. I don't get there real often, but I'll get there now and then. And there'll be a new person at church. And, and I'm a friendly guy. I walk up, say hello, introduce myself, and say, well, how long have you been coming to the Word of Life? They say, oh, this is my third week now. Oh, it's great. I'm glad to have you here. Where do you live? Oh, I live three miles down the road. Oh, well, that's great. If your car broke down, you could walk to church. Yeah. 
Well, how long have you lived three miles down the road? Well, I, I, I've lived there all my life. You lived three miles down the road all your life, and you're just now making for the Word of Life Fellowship? Where have you been all your life? What took you so long? You know what the answer is? Nobody ever asked me. Nobody ever asked me. I know we shouldn't have to be asked to come to church. That's the answer. Nobody ever asked me. See, we get complacent. We get lazy. We forget. We're supposed to be asking those folks, those folks that are in our sphere of influence, in our circle of friends, in our families. We all have them. I've got, I've got a gentleman I was trying to get to church for the longest time. I couldn't get him to come to church. So finally, every Saturday night, I'd call and say, hey, you're going to join me at church tomorrow? I said, ah, I can't make it tomorrow. That went on for a long time. And finally, I called him one Saturday night. I said, hey, uh, I'm going to hostels for lunch tomorrow. Would you join me? I, my treat, I'm buying. Yeah, I'll join you. I'll pick you up around nine. Why so early? I've got to make a stop along the way. <laughs> so we've got to get our folks to church. You know, and, and, and I know your church is doing fantastic here. And, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here. I mean, you're pretty crowded here. You've got a lot of folks here. But we still, no matter even if you have a wonderful church like this one, a wonderful pastor like you have, we all still have folks in our lives who are lost and don't know they're lost. We all do. I said I was going to share with you my testimony and and I've shared all this other stuff, and I'll make it into the testimony. Well, I, I, I'm a pilot, and in my early days of learning to fly, I learned that there's absolutely no reason to break a perfectly good airplane just because the engine shuts off. We got any aviators in here? No aviators? Anyway, and that's true. You know, if the engine shuts off, you, you, know, you find yourself a road or a field, you glide on in, you set the airplane down, fix the problem, you fly away. And 98% of the time, that's exactly how it works. But I am a two-percenter. Okay, not a 98. Well, that's not true. I, I have had that. But, but I had a time when I departed out of a, a remote airstrip belonged to a friend of mine. I hadn't quite reached 800 feet altitude, and I had a catastrophic engine failure. There was no getting that engine back going. I knew it. But there were no roads, and I didn't have enough altitude, and there were no roads, and there were no fields to glide to. There were only trees that I was going to go into, and there was, no, there was no way out of that, and a crash was imminent. So I went through all the emergency procedures. I unlatched the door so it wouldn't get jammed upon impact. I turned off all the electrical items in there to help reduce the possibility of a post-crash fire. And I was headed straight towards this tree. And there were no nice soft trees there. There were no pine trees. They're all big old oak trees. And just as I was about to hit this tree head on, I heard a loud voice cry out, left rudder. Just as if one of you cried it out to me right now. Left rudder. I heard it. I listened. I slammed the left rudder. And the airplane went like this. And when I went to that tree, it went wing first instead of head on. And that has to be timing beyond anything I could ever do because you would hit that left rudder of the airplane would go like this and then it would come back. So the timing had to be impeccable. That, that right wing was the furthest piece of metal from me. That wing went crunch, 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 crunch. It crunched up just like an accordion. I never even felt it hit. Broke that tree off about that big around 70, 80 feet off the ground. I came to a momentary stop and I was staring straight down the ground and I remember saying, this is going to hurt. And on my way to the ground, something in the aircraft had gotten caught. And it did a 180 degrees. And now instead of staring at the ground, I was staring at the heavens. So when I hit the ground, it hit tail first. And the tail and the appendage and the fuselage 
took all that impact and went crunch, crunch, crunch. And the airplane very, very softly sat down like that. I immediately exited the aircraft, got away from it. There was no post-crash fire. God and I had done everything right. The very next day, a gentleman by the name of Frank from the National Transportation Safety Board came to visit me. I took him to the aircraft. He checked it over real good, found it was mechanical failure. No, air, no pilot ever wants in his record that he had an incident due to pilot error. It was definitely mechanical failure. We went back to my house, and he sat down at the table, started to write his report. I made us both a cup of coffee, and I set his down and mine, and he continued to write. After a few minutes, he set, he set his pen down, and he, he picked up his coffee and took a sip, and he just stared at me, stared at me. And finally, I said, well, what, Frank? He says, you know, by all rights... You shouldn't be here today. I said, oh, I know God's always been good to me that way. I'm a Vietnam veteran. I could tell you some real stories. I said, God's always been good to me that way. Even though I was lost, I, I, I still believed in God. I, I can say I wasn't 100% pagan. He said, oh, where do you go to church? I lowered my head in shame. I hadn't been in church in a long time. I had drifted away from church. I told him, I said, well, Frank, my job keeps me traveling. I, I seldom spend the same weekend in the same place. I kind of got out of going to church. He said, I need to go. I'm going to go to my car and get something. I'll be right back. Okay, Frank, about 45 seconds later, Frank come walking through my door again. What do you think Frank had to hand me? Now, it wasn't that I didn't have a Bible. I had this little black Bible that I got when I was eight years old. I got it for Christmas. It has my name and put it in the front in Boston Gold. That Bible and I traveled all over the world together. We spent a year in Vietnam together. It wasn't that I didn't have a Bible. It was that I had forgotten how to use the Bible. I share this with you because we have folks in our lives that have forgotten how to use the Bible. Frank says, you need to find yourself a good Bible-based faith church, start going to church, find out what it is God has planned for you. Obviously, he's got plans for you or you wouldn't be here today. You need to go and find out what it is. And that was like on a Thursday, on that Sunday, I went to the Word of Life Fellowship. I sat way, way back in the back. And a pastor was, was doing a message out of the book of Matthew. I'm sorry, book of John, John 14, 15. Yes, John 14, 15. And when he read that scripture, and Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. That scripture hit me harder than that oak tree ever could because that was the moment. That I realized that I had been lost. Sometimes it takes things like that in our lives to make us realize that, that we're lost. Again, I know, I know y'all are good here. You're here where you need to be. But we do have folks in our lives. I know right now, if you think in the back of your minds right now, you got someone in mind that you know that you care about, that you want to see them in church because you want them to have the same joy in their heart that you have in your heart and knowing Christ Jesus. And that's what this is all about. We need to get those folks coming here, coming to church, so that they can be saved as well as you.
If the Holy Spirit cries out to spare you the impending crash that lies ahead, are you listening? Will you hear him? Will you obey? Or will you ignore and go head on into that crash, realizing the hurt, the pain, the suffering, the sorrow, the chaos and calamity that so often comes from the disobedience of God's word or failing to heed the words of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside? You guys got a wonderful church here and a wonderful pastor. You guys got it going on here. I noticed that from a word go, and I am so pleased to be here, and I'm I'm so honored to, to be able to share with you this morning. And remember, this is really all about Gideon's International and, and what we do in bringing the loss to Jesus Christ. I'm sure you all probably have the Gideon card rack out there that has these cards in it. And we all got folks in our lives sometimes that already have everything they ever need Special holiday coming up, and we don't know what to buy them. Get one of these cards like this and dedicate five Bibles or so in their name and send them the card. It's a wonderful thing because you have no idea how many people that those Bibles are going to reach and the amount of people that might end up in heaven as a result of that. It's a good gift to buy for folks that you just don't know what to buy for. And of course... A lot of times people use those as opposed to sending flowers. And so I just want you to know that Gideon card rack is there and available to you. There's so much I'd love to share with you. I'd like to share some more testimonies with you. But, but I've already spoken enough and shared enough time up here. So maybe next time that I get around here, I'll share some different testimonies with you. But I, I do want to thank you so much for having me here at your church today. And if we have anybody out there that thinks they might be, be willing to be a Gideon and join the, you know, the Gideon ministry, see me after the service. I'll get your name and number and, and uh, you know, get it to the folks that's in charge of the camp of your area. And they'll get a hold of you and talk with you about it. We need Gideons. We don't have enough. So if anybody wants to be a part of a great ministry, please see me after the service and... Uh, see what we can do about getting you signed up. I'd ask you to bow your heads, please. Oh, Lord, as the days pass and the years vanish, and we walk sightless among miracles, Lord, fill our eyes with seeing, our minds with knowing. Let there be moments when your presence like lightning illuminates the darkness in which we walk. Help us to see wherever we gaze that the bush burns unconsumed and that we, clay, touched by God, will reach out in holiness and exclaim in wonder how filled with awe is this place and we did not know it. Almighty, merciful, gracious, and glorious Heavenly Father, let your words fill our memories, rule our hearts, and guide our feet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much for allowing me to join you today. I'm wondering if there's anybody here this morning who would say, I am lost.
Would you stand, please? As Donald spoke and read scriptures, maybe God has spoken to you. Maybe you've been around the church a long time. Maybe you knew him and lived close to him, but you've gotten away. Or maybe you've heard for the first time. I know that God who gave Donald life in that airplane loves you so much. And he reaches out today with his word, with his truth, with his grace. Because he wants you to be a child of God. We're going to pray again. Then we're going to receive an offering for Gideon's. While we pray again today, just want to say to you, if God has spoken to your heart, I don't do this real often, but I think I am today, I'd like to ask you to bow your heads. Is there anybody here that would say, Pastor, I'm lost. And I want to come to Jesus today. Put up your hand, if you will. And then we're going to pray. Dear Jesus, thank you that you are here, your Holy Spirit, to speak to our hearts today. You know what we need. You know where we're at. You know, Lord, the challenges in our lives. You know the journey we're on. And you reach out with your love to say, I love you. I died for you. And I want you to have life in my name. Today, I pray that you would help anyone that has that in their heart to be able to freely say, Jesus, come into my heart. Give me life. Give me your presence. May I be what you want me to be today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to receive our offering as you go out today. Uh, let's support Gideon's as best we can. If you're able to come, make out, a, if you're going to want to write a check, write the, the check to the church, and then we'll convert that all to one check that our treasure will send to Gideon's. Thank you for being here. Don, thank you for being here.